Good morning, afternoon, evening, and night, everyone, and welcome to the eighth episode of the Game Luster Podcast. I am Editor-in-Chief Trevor Hosting, and I am joined by Editor Haley. Hello. And Ryder Brennan. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about something that's just happened, at least as of this recording. Whatever date this podcast is published will be the date in the title. We are recording it on March 8th, which is International Women's Day and also the day that Ubisoft Toronto and Xbox Canada hosted a panel on women and gaming. Now, this panel had several Canadian women from the games industry, such as Jenny Faber from Dames Making Games, Leslie Ford Toy, a producer at Ubisoft, Maya Moldenhauer from Studio MDHR, creators of Cuphead, Nicole Fawcett, who is the global product marketer for Xbox and Women in Gaming, and then also Sam Maggs, an associate writer from BioWare. Now, Women in Gaming is a not-for-profit organization in Toronto, and they've done some of these panels before, and this one was focused on the path towards careers in gaming for for young women or girls who want to get into it. And, of course, we all have, we all have I'm sure, thoughts on it, but I wanted to turn this discussion over first to Haley since... She is a woman who is interested in games. I would like to hear her thoughts on the panel and also um, get into just her feelings in general about being a woman who is into games and who may potentially want to get into the games industry someday. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Haley. So I only caught the tail end of the panel. Um, so there's not much I can really say about that. But giving my opinion um, from being in high school up until now I was in high school five years ago, I've definitely seen a shift with more women um, going into the game industry and not just the game industry, but the tech industry also. I feel as if it's become a more open and more comfortable environment for women to work in and women aren't leaving as quickly as they used to. I feel like that's because there are a lot more women who hold higher positions, um, which make other women feel a lot more comfortable going into something like video games and uh, tech. So it's kind of like a role model thing. Like they see these women in extremely high positions and they're like, you know, I can do that too. I can be there too. So that's what they strive to do, and they feel a lot more comfortable. I also feel like it goes back on the companies, and the companies are realizing, like, hey, like this is an issue. Women are leaving. Women don't feel comfortable here. And I feel as if companies are actually listening and responding to that and are educating their uh, staffs and all their uh, workers and employees on just healthy relationships within the uh, workspace. Now, not just commenting on the industry, but just as a gamer, like, and I don't know how big of an online gamer you are, but whenever you play games online or whenever you interact in game communities like forums or whatever, I mean, do you ever detect 
or I guess, well, of course, I know at times you do detect it because it is there, but how often do you detect sexism or maybe, how should I put this, maybe more of a joking attitude towards um, women who are playing games who are part of these gaming communities online? I don't game online very often um, because just because I don't have a lot of friends who do, but going on sites like um, say like Reddit and stuff like that, I don't post my opinion because of the sexism. Now, if I do feel strongly about something, I will post it, but normally those people can't tell that I'm a female. So I don't receive any criticism uh, because I'm a woman. Normally it's because of my opinion and not because of my gender. Now, even though you did just catch the tail end of the panel, I mean, the topic that they're speaking on, just women in gaming, like that's a very broad topic. So I, I'm, I'm given to understand that you've, this has been a topic you've done a lot of, a lot of research into. Um, is there anything else you want to touch on about just women in the games industry or women breaking into um, a professional tech career or STEM for young girls? Is there any other topic that you'd like to speak on here uh, before I turn it over to Brennan. I guess two really quick things. One, there are a lot of nonprofit organizations that are trying to help young girls and women break into the tech and gaming industry. Um, girls who code, women in gaming, women who code. Um, there's a million more of these nonprofits, some that are extremely close to where I am and have thought about bringing to my college campus uh, to try to get more women within the industry. Like they're out there, they are definitely trying. And I think it's a great thing to support and back up. And also, um, there was a study. Um, a survey that was completed. I'm unsure when the survey was completed, but it's called Elephant in the Valley. And I'm pretty sure it surveyed multiple tech companies and surveyed the women at those companies as to why they are leaving. And it says that 60% of the women surveyed have experienced some sort of sexual harassment 90% of them have witnessed sexist behavior, while 87 have received unwanted, demeaning comments from male colleagues. Those are some rather high percentages. Unfortunately. Yes. Yes, definitely. Now, um, so then, so then I guess I'll, I'll turn it over then to Brennan also. Um, of course... Like me, you are a male, so we can't comment specifically to what it means to have the female perspective when you're bearing down on the games industry. But like when you hear the percentages that Haley just rattled off, or when you see these panels, women in gaming, uh, lady devs coming together, um, just what's your overall feeling like? And I'm not, I'm not asking this like, you know, oh goodness, you know, we guys, we've done such a terrible job i'm not asking it with that angle but just as a as a male who's into games how do you feel about 
the future for for women in gaming and tech? And how do you feel that there's even a need in the first place, especially in 2018, to keep that we need to keep having these panels and that we need to keep pushing this issue? Like, how much longer, I guess I should say, do we need to even worry about creating more gender equity or promoting women in the games industry? Um, well, I thought it was an interesting panel. It's not something that you definitely see every day because of that. Um, I, I don't, as a male, and I, I can't really comment on you know, what, it, what the amount of sexism or the amount of harassment that people get, um, but I, I thought that the panel was really well done. Everyone was really well spoken. Um, one of one of the questions that you asked is, um, you know, the the amount of progress made, and that was actually one of the questions in the panel. The one of the women asked, "How will you know, or what will we see progress be like?" And I believe the woman from Bioware she quoted uh, a U.S. senator saying something along the lines of, um, you know, when essentially when we don't have to have this kind of panel anymore. And to be honest, I, I was kind of shocked to even see that we have this kind of panel. I don't really, um, I don't really see too much of it, uh, again, because probably the market is just oversaturated with males. There's even a, a percentage thrown out. Um, I think it was the same woman from Bioware, actually, she said that in 2011, there was only the amount of employees that were female in the tech, I don't know if it was tech and gaming, or maybe it was just gaming. She said it was around 11%, but since since then, 2018, it's jumped up to around 20, 25%. Um, I think it was so 22. 22? Okay. I wasn't sure if it was... I knew it was somewhere in 2025. Um, yeah, I, it, it's it's interesting to see the jump, um, and I hope that that increases. Uh, I personally don't have a problem and never did have a problem with girls playing or, or making video games. Um, they were even talking about how different perspectives, um, different creativities and different personalities add to the molding of the game and can shape new and interesting experiences which is something that I very much agreed with um, the one thing though that kind of threw me a bit off was the chat actually in, in Mixer the platform that was used to stream it there were um, even still in this kind of panel whether it be trolls or people that actually believe it there were a lot of comments uh, specifically negative comments about women in this kind of situation and it was almost empowering to see that um everyone kind of spoken up about it and was saying stuff like hey you know you you can't say that or prepare to get banned kid and that's um, important oh yeah it, it is important and it, along with the panel um I, I think it was again the woman from bioware she's very sam outspoken. mags the associate writer from bioware sam mags yes yeah um she was explaining to understand your privilege and learn to speak for those marginalized voices that perhaps can't speak for themselves. Yes, that, um, and that, that when, oh, sorry. Oh, that when like there are commenters saying stuff like that, we should speak up and say, hey, don't do that. 
and that that yeah, is so important it, it was nice to see that that was actually put in practice before my very eyes watching this podcast about said problem so i thought that, that was really cool it goes it boils down to the whole um intolerance theory people growing intolerant of intolerance itself and i'm very much for that i, I don't see why people just are offended or, or feel some kind of i don't disdain for women in the industry i i think we need as many voices and opinions as we can get it doesn't matter who they are as long as they have an opinion and voice and enough voices are heard um now i did not watch the comments for that very reason that you shared um typically i don't watch comments and when i do i'm shocked by some of the things posted in them and anyway as far as how i felt about the panel is my takeaway is that the panel is for everyone that's the main point like even though it is called women in gaming this panel was for everyone and its message its message could be learned by everyone and it touches on one of the points they made is that diversity is good like people want diversity of stories and opinions they even said and when we talk about diversity in the games industry it goes beyond just male and female uh like one that more of us could relate to they did highlight introverts and extroverts um like me i've grown up an introvert perhaps both of you have as well and we all know that the outspoken typically dominate different situations um so it's not just male and female it's also personality types and there's a need we need to speak up for each other and help people have a voice who do not have one and in this case the more specific appropriate example is men speaking up for women and that you know like you mentioned in the comments section or in the gaming industry um as a man we need to say hey don't say these things about women, whether you're joking or not. And that's another thing. Whether it's joking or not, you know, you're, you're making a comment. Most likely you're anonymous and you're saying something sexist or racist and you think, well, it's just a joke, but not really. I mean, you're still saying it. The words are still there. They still hurt, et cetera, et cetera. Mm, yeah. And, and I think like, like lately and they, they reference the black panther movie there's also wonder woman the wonder woman movie and these things they're interesting because it, it hits me like wow we we really are used to just seeing males or white men in these main leading roles and now we have a chance you know a change now we have like a different a different flavor and i don't want i'm I cautioned myself before saying a different flavor because I didn't want to trivialize, you know, what it means to have a black man as a hero or a woman as a superhero by saying a different flavor. But I think you know what I'm trying to get at. We're not just seeing the same standard story again and again and again with the same character type in it. We're getting a change of pace. And I think that's a good thing. It's not just some, you know, cheesy or empty uh, phrase to say that diversity makes us better that can sound like such an empty airy generic vague phrase but really it carries with it a great truth that can apply to all of us and it it doesn't even have to do with politics i mean whatever side politically you land on to say diversity makes us better you're not just talking about race or sex you're also talking about character type 
you're talking about background as well. You know, people who come from a rougher background, they have interesting stories to tell too, and likely they have had less opportunities to tell them. So my big takeaway from this panel is it's for everyone. And diversity is not just male and female, or even which race you are. It's tons of different things and encouraging perspectives and people who aren't represented enough or who are underrepresented underrepresented is a good thing for all of us now I, I do kind of regret using that term flavor we're doing a live podcast it just kind of came out but I think it's important that we all get to experience seeing new stories from someone who isn't like us because it enlightens us we if we worked for instance with people who are just like us all the time it would be boring and we wouldn't grow i think like in previous jobs i'm thinking of having co-workers who have different upbringings to share or different perspectives to share well you learn a lot from it so there is it's not just some little catchphrase to say diversity makes us better it does carry solid substantial meaning now that's my takeaway. Is there anything else before we jump into our currently playing list that either of you want to say on women in gaming? Um, what I noticed is um, after the panel was over, I tried to take a good look at the games that I've played and even just games that I haven't played that revolve around female protagonists in in this specific instance just uh women um and i can't say not not because of my own choice but i can't say that i've played too many games with strong female leads um it's not because i'm not fond of them but more so they're just not around there aren't as many yeah, like I play Chun Li, like in Street Fighter, but that's and sometimes if I make uh, a character in a game, I'll occasionally make it female just to have that, you know, I don't know difference in, in character type. But I, they mentioned a few in the panel, um, but most of them I haven't played. Like I really want to play Night in the Woods, um, just you know, in terms of having a, a different kind of protagonist, but also the story behind it. Um, but now here's but, here's one for you. Do you think do you think there should be any kind of a, a forcing placed on game developers? And I don't mean by law. I just mean like by societal pressure to say make more games with women. I think a, a knee jerk reaction to that is well, we shouldn't ask developers to start making more games with women. It's an art. They should make what they're inspired to make. But if it's kind of a vicious cycle because if more game developers are men and so they keep making more games where you play as a man because that's what they relate to they're not doing it to be mean or anything it's just what they relate to but then more games with men come out and then whenever girls come to games it's just a bunch of male characters and they think oh this isn't for me it's like the cycle perpetuates so is there any place for putting societal pressure on game developers to make more games with women in light of what you've just said maybe the solution wouldn't necessarily be to force them to do anything, but perhaps put more of a strain on allowing women to 
be in that position of power, be in that position of production and development where they can tell that story rather than have them leave. Um, I know it's not, and especially with such a male-dominated... But then, you know, sort of touching on the cycle part of it, and I like to get Haley's perspective here as well. um, If perhaps the way to get more women into the games industry to make more women characters is by making more women characters, which inspires them to want to get into the games industry, etc. You see, it's kind of like a chicken and the egg sort of situation. So, yeah. um, I mean, I would like to hear, like Haley, growing up as a kid, did the fact that the vast majority of games have male protagonists discourage you from wanting to pursue a career in the games industry? Personally, for me, it wasn't really that. It was more so that my parents thought that video games were more for men. So growing up, like, I had a pink Game Boy Advance and I played all the girly Barbie games because my parents were like, well, all those other games like Pokemon are for the guys. And it didn't happen until I was in high school that I was like, you know what, like, I'm going to venture out into um, games that have male protagonists and see what they're all about. And I kind of regret not getting into video games earlier and kind of listening to what my parents had to say about it. Because I feel like if I would have gotten into it earlier, I would would have had a bigger interest in it earlier which would have opened my eyes to all the things that I could do within gaming and I feel like as I said before like I feel like there's a lot of nonprofits that are trying to break that stigma that either video games or tech um, it's only for the men and there's something called Code Liberation which is another nonprofit that hosts um panels and workshops um sponsored by like there was one sponsored by microsoft for women and other um gaming companies and tech companies to teach girls how to code and how to program and how to um give them all these tools to break into the industry now like the point you brought up about your parents is interesting because I'm sure Brennan, you could relate, you could relate to this. You know, there are times growing up where my parents thought that because you played as a girl in a game that I shouldn't be playing it, that it was just for girls. So then when you apply that the other way, you realize, well, for us, you know, like that just is a small number of games like, okay, so our parents don't get us Tomb Raider. But if you're a girl and your parents think that all games where you play as a guy aren't for you, that's cutting you out of like, almost every single game that comes out just about so it does seem to me Haley, that like the fact that most protagonists were male did have a huge impact on your gaming life growing up i mean will that be a fair assessment yeah it definitely did i stopped gaming um after the ps2 came out because i just couldn't find anything to play anymore because nothing had a female protagonist so I just lost interest in it and then it wasn't until a long long time later that 
I started playing The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess because my dad was playing it. And I was like, wow, like, you know, I actually like playing as a male protagonist. So then I gradually picked up other games and just started playing them. And that's where it kind of led to. Um, but I know the the one franchise that kind of stuck out to me with the whole uh not having a female protagonist issue was when a lot of people were calling for a female Assassin's Creed character in the game. I remember that being a large thing and a lot of people being very, like, extremely upset over that. And my personal take on it was I was fine with playing as a male, but when I was able to play as Evie Fry in Assassin's Creed Syndicate, I had... The most glorious time i have ever had playing a video game because i i just i constantly played as her i didn't want to play as her brother i groaned every time that i had to play a mission as him i just playing as her was probably one of the greatest moments in my video game career and did, did it make you wish that there had been more games where you got to play as a woman growing up most definitely like i I wish there were more female protagonists because it's they're so easy to relate to. And while, yes, I might be able to relate to the struggles um, that the male protagonists go through, just looking at them, I can't really re- relate that way. In some games, I play more for the story, so I'm only focused on the story, so I don't really care about what the protagonist looks looks like but there's other games that i'm just like you know why can't i have a female protagonist because this game would do well as having both and like and i i think the specific issue and i can't recall the title at this time but there was an assassin's creed that had four characters and all of them were male so it was kind of a kind of like a salt on the wound thing like really four characters not one of them even could be female so that that's why that one was especially bad i i can't i can't remember the exact assassin's creed title does either of you happen to remember which exact title that was that had that um that controversy was it unity it it might have been because that's the only one that i can think of that had the um the multiplayer where you could play with your friends and not a single one of the assassins were female. Yeah, that was it then. That was it. So like and like before we wrap up this issue and move on, um I did want to touch on one more thing then, like with me personally and in games like Mass Effect, I would choose to play as a female. And I remember realizing especially in rpgs where characters treat you differently i thought like hey this is interesting you know it's it's interesting to play as a female and and perhaps you can relate brennan but again flipping the issue on its head i realized that's what you know women gamers feel most of the time well it's interesting to be a male but they never or hardly ever get to be a female so when like Haley's referenced here they get that chance it really is eye-opening and it makes me think of a tweet that I saw soon after Wonder Woman came out. It was a tweet that was getting retweeted a lot. I can't remember who it came from, but it was like it was it was a, it was a female a female user on Twitter who was saying, 
well, dang, now I know why white men feel so great all the time. I've just watched Wonder Woman and I feel like I could take down an army of the strongest weightlifters, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it was some comment <laughs> along those lines, which makes me realize, you know, we any conversation about we need more women protagonists, it's like that. There is weight behind that. It's not just, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. People are people. Um, most designers are male. Well, but when female gamers get a female protagonist they can relate and it can help inspire them to want to get more into games and get into the games industry um so before we move on from this topic one last time i'll just double check since after all i am a male speaking does that sound like a fair assessment Haley? yeah i i definitely think so i mean that's the way that i feel about it as if i would have had more female protagonists growing up i feel like that would have opened my eyes to a lot of things that i didn't really pay attention to until later in my life exactly exactly and that is why having panels like women in gaming is important because in the sea of of male developers it gives you a chance to see oh there are women developers and here they are sharing their career paths and then people like Brennan and myself, who are male, we can realize, well, that is true. Like, diversity would help even us in our careers. So, um, good discussion here all around. But, for now, we will move on to currently playing. And I'll go ahead and turn it over to Haley first to share with us what or what not she has been playing lately. Well, in the last podcast, I said that I was playing Bayonetta 1, and I stopped playing. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get back on playing it, because right now, I just kind of lost interest, and I went back to Stardew Valley, but I'm also losing interest in that, because everything that I need to due to finish all the community center center bundles are in different seasons that I am nowhere near close to being able to do yet. So right now I'm not really playing anything. Is that the Switch version of Bayonetta 1, the Switch release? Yeah. Okay. And have you have you started any of Bayonetta 2? No, I wanted to play through one completely. Fair enough. Um, before I played through two, uh, I've been thinking about picking up the latest uh, Sims game pack, but I also lose very quick interest in Sims because Sims gets boring really quickly. <laughs> so <laughs> right now I'm just kind of like stuck in this lull of like, well, I have games that... I could finish, but at the same exact time, I'm just like, I don't really want to finish them because they're just boring right now. I've had that happen to me too much lately. When you, But the problem is when you fall out of a game, it's always hard to get back into it. I, I can definitely agree. I bought the collector's edition, well, the steelbook edition of Assassin's Creed Origins mm-hmm. because I love Assassin's Ooh. Creed. Started playing it stopped having gotten back into it and every time i'm like oh yeah you know i should play that i'm just like yeah no i don't think i want to let's play something else 
And that's me, and I hate to say the Super Mario Odyssey. I got it near the start of this year, and it just completely fell to the sands of time for me. I need to get back into it, though. But it just got swept away, and that's what can happen with games since they're so time-consuming. You let them get away from you, and you ju- you just lose them. Like I still like I always wanted to play Fallout Four Far Harbor, and I still haven't done that. Like that's just been buried for me. Well, then anyway, um, I guess I will turn <laughs> turn the spotlight back onto you, Brennan, and ask, what have you been playing lately? Um, I recently picked up Final Fantasy Fifteen for the PC. Nice. Um, as as that was recently released. Yeah, I played it on a. Uh, I only played through half of it on PlayStation, so I figured I'd get it again and buckle up and try to finish it this time. But as to Haley's point, I've gotten kind of bored of it already in like the Man. first three chapters. The apathy yeah. here. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's not like it's a bad game. I just, I guess part of it is because I'm sitting here thinking like, I've already done this. I've, I've already done this before. I just want to pick up where I've left off, but that's not really possible because it's on a completely different platform. So um, I've been playing that and I've been trying to climb ranked in League of Legends. It's not going very well. I'm actually not climbing. I'm doing the opposite, but um, that Descending. doesn't stop me. Yeah, it doesn't stop me from, uh, from trying out new champions and trying to just climb back up you know it's, it's that grind well like on on final fantasy 15 um how many final fantasy titles had you played prior um i've played a lot of the spin-off games um as for like the main franchise i think i've i dumped a couple hours into six a couple hours into three and i think a couple hours into four if I'm not mistaken, but most of my Final Fantasy experience has been with the spinoff games, namely the the Crystal Chronicle series. I love that game when, when on GameCube. I remember I remember going driving to the store after school one day to pick up Crystal Chronicles when it came out for GameCube, and I, I poured way too many hours into that game than I should have. Um, uh, I've always wanted to play Seven, but I'm just far too lazy <laughs> it's on steam um, did you know that yeah i okay so my my problem with that is um so when i when i said i played a couple hours of six um i actually got a, a game boy emulator on my phone mm-hmm. and i think yeah six was on gamecube at some point they ported it over and so it's very similar to a problem that I have with Pokemon. I can't play turn-based games um, without some kind of fast mode, without some kind of mode where I just go mindlessly, just especially through the ads, because they just, or the minions or the, the random battles, whatever you want to call them, um, because they, they just they happen all the time. And it's like sometimes, yeah, this is, I like the bosses. So that's kind of fun. But the other ones are just you kind of mindless. Yeah, so like I... You're not a random encounter guy. Not all the time, no. I mean, I would... I guess I would be happier if they have... uh, There was a game... I think it was Bravely Default um, on the DS. 3DS? Oh, yes, right. Yeah, 3DS. Where you could actually um, change 
the chance of random encounters. And I thought that that was a really, really cool touch. Like if you didn't want, if you wanted 0%, you could throw it on 0%. If you wanted 50, I mean, obviously you lose out on EXP and whatnot, but if you just want to steamroll through the game without having to stop every 15, 10, 15 seconds, you could. Um, and I kind of like that that option, but for me to pick it up on Steam and not on an emulator without having some kind of fast mode, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what I would do. And that's kind of why I like 15 too, because it's everything's out in the open. Um, I've never played, I don't know, like nine, ten, uh, twelve was online, and I've never played thirteen. 12- uh, 12 was a, I think 11 is the one that was online. 12 was a single player one on the PS2. Was it? Yeah. It, see, was, that's it was the how... one that had real time combat. It didn't have turn base. So maybe you'd like it. I don't know. It was more like a, a Western RPG. Hmm. Yeah, I always get 10 and, and they, they recently re- and 11. Oh, I'm confused. Oops, sorry. Oh, it's okay. Um, But yeah, 11 was 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 the online one 12 they did recently re-release on the pc i believe maybe some other platforms but i know for sure the pc so if you're interested it's been re-released hmm yeah i can check that. that's the zodiac ages one right that's the one that i keep seeing on steam it it i think it is that one um unfortunately i'm not certain on the terminology i played it on ps2 back in the day but it's been a while um but yeah it's 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 recently come out on steam Hmm. Yeah, I'll definitely take, give that a look. So aside from, from those games, anything else you've been playing? Uh, no. No, it's just been League lately. It's just, just uh, being just cr- bored and... Crying every night. <laughs> bored <laughs> in Final loss. Fantasy or descending the leaderboards in League. Yeah, I was playing Origins, as Haley said uh, a couple of weeks ago. But again, like Haley, I just kind of stopped playing. It felt like I had. It's it's weird where like halfway through a game, I feel like I've done everything that there is to do, and it's like if you want to do more of it, go ahead. But there's not really anything new here. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'll pick it up eventually. But I never do. <laughs> Assassin's Creed Origins is just so big and I feel like there's while there's a main storyline I feel like there's no real like actual set path so I just get so lost in what I in what I should do and what I can do because I'll just be walking and then all of a sudden I'll just end up in an area that I'm not supposed to be in and I'm just like but this looks like every other single area on my map like what am I doing so that I just get so flustered I just put it down and never touch it again yeah it's weird like the leveling system is is cool but at the same time it it restricts you from going in those cool areas. Like my little brother was telling me about some, uh, there's like a Coliseum that you can visit, but then there's an even bigger Coliseum in a different area. And I was like, okay, cool. I can check that out. And he's like, no, you have to be like level 40. And I was like, what that, but I can kill everyone at my level. What, what's a number? I don't know. It it seemed really cool at first, but the more I played it, the more I'm just like, I'm an assassin. I should be able to just, that. what how much better can i get because there's 
there's guys that'll you know have no armor and they'll be level 40 and still kill you in one hit and i'm like well that's not that's not what i signed up for this this isn't it's, it's the least assassin's creed assassin's creed i've ever played i think i agree i i downright agree like i just i i loved syndicate not only because i could play as a female but just because i thought the game was uh just just gorgeous and i thought the combat was great and while i have to say that the combat in origins is definitely a step up from syndicate I feel like it also hinders me from just a lot that I can do because if I'm not a certain level, then I can't go to all the places that I want to go to. And then, you know, just because I'm walking around, I'll end up in a place that's twice my level. And then I'm just like, okay, great. So I can't really go anywhere because I have to level up, but then yeah. I get so lost in how should I level up? Should I do this mission? Should I do this mission? Like, should I go here? And I'm just like so confused. And what's weird is that immediately when I booted up Assassin's Creed, all I could think of was how it felt almost exactly like Breath of the Wild. Um, yeah. In, yeah. In ter- especially in terms of combat. Like, being able to parry, being able to, um, and uh, it wasn't just the parry thing; it was more than that. But I just felt like I was playing Breath of the Wild, where that felt like it was, at least in exploration terms, it felt like it was much better handled. While there might have been bigger or badder enemies, you could always do something to beat them. You could always use the environment or, or use your powers or something. But in Assassin's Creed, if you scour one inch of the map that's just too strong you're dead it just don't even bother just come back later whereas breath of the wild is like you you could be around here just just be a little careful okay and i like that so much more you could you just just plot me down let me go anywhere let me explore stuff I, I, and especially egypt especially ancient egypt where an area that i want to like the first thing i wanted to do when i booted up was go see the pyramids like first thing just go climb but, you know, there was all just people that were too high of a level. Even traveling around the area, I couldn't because a guard or someone would be like, hey, you're not supposed to be here and shoot me with an arrow like a mile away and kill me in one hit. And I was like, well, I guess I'm just never going to see the pyramids. I I definitely feel like like this is a good Assassin's Creed. And while I definitely do love it, I feel like it's something that's going to take time to play through just because of all this and um i definitely like that ubisoft isn't pumping them out once a year anymore that Mm, they're actually taking their time so i feel like they gave origins a lot of thought and they really worked on it so while i am happy for that um there are just some things that it's just gonna take my time to to get used to because I'm not really used to all this new and like upgraded combat that they have yeah especially um the one thing that I really thought was weird was the upgrading the you have to upgrade the hidden blade that you get in order to do more damage to people and 
if you've played any of the other Assassin's Creed games, you know that the hidden blade is like the the one trick of all weapons. You know, you just go up and stab someone. And the first time I was like sneaking into a camp and I was like, all right, well, I can't. All these guys are way too high of a level for me, so I'm just going to go stealth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this whole thing. And I go up to one enemy and try to stealth kill him. And it does maybe like half of his health and I get caught and I die. And I'm like, but that's not, but that, why? <laughs> why is it tied to, I mean, I guess that would be quote overpowered, but that's what the franchise was kind of built on. So it's an interesting change, but like you said, it you definitely have to get used to it. It's not a bad change. Don't get me wrong. Just a different change. So, so now that we've hijacked the podcast with our <laughs> Assassin's Creed talk, what uh, what games have you been playing recently, Trevor? Well, I'm glad you asked because <laughs> I actually have one that's relevant for International Women's Day, and it is also one that I wrote a story on, Iron Maiden. Now. What I played of it is just the preview campaign. The full game comes out Q3 2018. But Iron Maiden is a game being developed by Voidpoint LLC in conjunction with 3D Realms. And speaking of 3D Realms, it is a game being built in the build engine, which powered Duke Nukem 3D, along with other 90 shooters like Blood or... Um, I just blanked out on the name, but it's it's... Ah, well, Duke Nukem 3D and Blood. There you go. And there's another one. But so Iron Maiden, in the game, you play as a woman. It has a female protagonist, Shelly, quote, bombshell, end quote, Harrison, a bomb disposal experts from the Global Defense Force. Now, this game isn't her first starring role. She was in the game called Bombshell that came out in 2016, made by Interceptor and published by 3D Realms. It's a top-down shooter. This one, Iron Maiden, is... Oh, and I just saw that one build game, Shadow Warrior. That's the one I couldn't think of. Duke Nukem 3D, Blood, and Shadow Warrior. But anyway, back to Ion Maiden. Um, so in the game, you play as Shelly, and it is a first-person shooter. It is a throwback shooter. And it takes place in Neo DC, Washington, DC. And you're fighting cyborgs, and there's something about an evil doctor. And... It feels like an old-school shooter. It felt... I even titled my story that build vibe because it has the same vibe that Duke Nukem 3D or Blood has. It Immediately you feel that. And there are secret areas. There's a shotgun. Um, you know, it feels good. Uh, there's there's a, a zone complete screen. There's a boss fight. There's great... It's a great soundtrack that takes you back to throwback 90 shooters and also like synthesized 80s action stuff there are one-liners that she says um it was a lot of fun i it, i wish i had more of it to play it, it i'm given to understand that more will be added to the preview campaign as time goes on and, and what you do to get it is you purchase it it's an early access on steam but that's been a lot of fun and again female protagonist um works with the topic of this podcast now that's not the only throwback shootery shooter thing I've been playing because I've also been playing Quake Champions, which is my only online game as of now. And I love Quake Champions. I've said it before. I love the gameplay. Um, but 
I keep having trouble finding matches. It is an early access. It's not a complete full game yet, but sometimes I'll be on the screen and I've got a good internet connection. Not wireless, it's a, a plugged-in Ethernet cable. And I'll wait even around 10 minutes before finding a match. And then half the time, it's me and three pro-level players who just destroy me. So there's still a lot of progress that needs to be done on that game. But I do like it. I main Ranger out of all the champions that it has. I mean, it's also got the Doom Slayer from Doom. It's got BJ from Wolfenstein. Um... They recently added Keel, one of the characters from Quake 3. So, uh, But out of all the champions, I keep coming back to Ranger. And he's like the basic champion. He's like Mario in Mario Kart. He's like the basic guy. He, w- he was the, the character model in the original Quake, which is one of the reasons I play as him, because I'm, I'm a Quake baby. Uh, but he, he's, he also comes with the game. If you get the free version of Quake Champions, you can play as Ranger. Um but still, I love playing as I keep coming back to him. I like using his slipgate ability thing where you throw a little ball that you press a button to warp into. I like his movement speed. I like how I can rocket jump as him, even though I'm not the best rocket jumper. I like having that option because he absorbs less damage from your own attacks. That's his passive ability, so it, it, it still allows you to rocket jump better. So really enjoying Quake Chan. Quake champions when I'm not waiting for a match or being destroyed by po- pro players. And there are times where I get into a match and it's a good number of people. And typically I notice when I play that game, like the first two or three minutes of a match, and on average they're 15 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes, I'll, I'll, I'll be doing pretty good. I'll be getting some, some scores or frags, as they're called in the game, in. But then as the match progresses, I start to completely fall away and after scoring like five to ten points in the first minute or two, I score like one for the rest of the match. And then there are the super rare matches where I, I place well, like in the top three of the top five. Um, but yeah, between those two things, um, I've been getting my old school throwback shooter on, which is no surprise for one of my favorite game types. But I highly recommend e- either of you um, to check out Ion Maiden, though I will ask between the two of you... Um, did either of you play Duke Nukem 3D or Blood or Shadow Warrior or any other build engine first person shooter in the 90s uh, growing up? Uh, no, I can't say that I have, to be honest. I don't think I have. But I mean, like, you have you have heard of, like, Duke Nukem 3D, for example. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just never played it. No, I think the only thing quasi close to that i've played like unreal tournament okay just a little um but that's about it and what about you Haley? any 90s fps fair none whatsoever uh, does golden i64 count uh well in a loose <laughs> sense um but if i wanted to be strict and say no only pc games count then no okay <laughs> uh but well, of course, I don't want to just straight up ask either of you when you grew up, but perhaps I could I could connect this with our earlier conversation, Haley. Um, it's is would you say that one of the reasons why like you never played Duke Nukem 3D or Doom was it because there there were male protagonists and your parents thought those games were just for boys, or am I just trying too desperately to tie this in with our earlier conversation? 
Um, I'd say the last one mainly because I never knew um, that that game existed oh. until recently. <laughs> okay. So when I was younger, I I had never heard of it at any point in my life. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Then I recommend either of you to check out any of those shooters, not just the build engine ones like you know Doom, Wolfenstein 3D. They're not build engine, but to check them out, they're on Xbox Live, they're on Steam, they're on good old games. Um, and then after you check those out, check out Ion Maiden or... You can check out Ion Maiden as your gateway into it, but to appreciate Ion Maiden like I have, it helps if you had played those games, especially growing up, and really have an, appreci- an appreciation for them because it's all about the feel. It's all about the vibe. And when I started up the Ion Maiden preview campaign, I got that build vibe. But I knew what the build vibe was. So then, moving on, since that's all I've been playing and you two already shared yours, um... We'll get to our new podcast segment. And this was inspired by Haley, who brought to my attention a revelation she had, a a rule that I guess that exists in the Game Luster podcast universe, which states that if two of us are in a podcast, then the other one must be in it as well. Speaking to me, Brennan, and Haley, that all three of us, if two of us are present, the other is there. That's how it's been so far in our podcast. And so Haley asked me, hey, could we do something with this? That's kind of a cool a cool little little factoid. And I had actually just used the acronym TBH in another discussion, which of course means to be honest. And so I said, well, why don't we do a segment called TBH, to be honest, where we share something where, we're, where if we were posting it in a forum, we would preface it with TBH. And so that's what this next segment will be to be honest, or TBH, whether or not it's reserved only for podcasts that has the three of us, I don't know. Perhaps it could branch out. But we'll be the ones to start it. And since it's a new segment, I guess I'll take it upon myself to lead us into it. And basically, listeners, what we're doing here is we're picking a topic like we're ranting, basically. We're picking a topic that normally doesn't come up, We're picking something where we have an adverse opinion or an uncommon opinion. um, Or we're just sort of letting out our frustrations. And we're saying then, so to say, to be honest. And for me, to be honest, I think that Sakurai is part of a large conspiracy in Nintendo to never recognize the existence of the Wario Land series. And I say this as someone who played Wario Land 2 back on the Game Boy Color back when I was a kid and immediately fell in love. The first Wario game was Super Mario Land 3, colon, Wario Land, and it came out for the Game Boy. Then Wario Land 2 came out for the Game Boy. Then Wario Land 2 came out for the Game Boy Color, and that's where I came in. And then Wario Land 3 came out for the Game Boy Color, and each of these games, they have a really great, interesting, unique design that Nintendo has done wrong to abandon. It's like a mixture of, of course, Super Mario, but then also some Metroid, some Castlevania, and then also just some unique Wario Landness. In Wario Land 2 and 3, Wario has no health. He can't die. He just gets banged around by the enemies. You lose coins. 
in Warriorland 2 and 3, he also has conditions where, like, if a bee stings you, you become all air puffed up and you start floating upwards. Or if a, a bat drops an anvil on you, you become flat Wario and you can crawl into small places that you couldn't otherwise get into. If a, a bat or a certain thing, evil, spooky thing, touches you, you become zombie Wario. Like, if a ghost hits you, you turn into a zombie, and zombie Wario falls through certain types of platforms. There's Bat Wario, there's Tiny Wario, so there are all these different conditions, and he's invincible, and it leads to some very interesting gameplay. Then, Wario Land 4 came out on the Game Boy Advance. Now, the first three Wario Lands were set in a world of pirates, seas, and treasure. Wario lived by himself, on his own island, in his own castle. There was no Waluigi, he did not exist, it was just Wario, and he was plagued by Captain Syrup. Well, first, he stole all of Captain Syrup's treasure. Speaking of women in games, Captain Syrup is a female, and she had her crew of brown sugar pirates, and Wario went after them to steal their treasure in the first Wario land, On and eventually going to Syrup Castle, after passing through places like Oven ca- Cave or the SS Teacup, which was Captain Syrup's ship. Now, then in Wario Land 2, Captain Syrup comes back and steals her treasure back. And Wario has to leave his castle and go back and get his treasure. In Wario Land 3, there's some setup with Wario getting trapped in a music box and there's a clown and stuff like that. But it, he's still on his island with his castle. Now, even though Wario Land 4 changed the theme and suddenly he's in a city and Captain Syrup is nowhere to be seen, it still kept the same gameplay intact. However, Nintendo unfortunately chose to completely ruin Wario and ruin any potential he had as a character, and to not only ruin an end, but to completely fail to ever again recognize the Wario Land series, beginning in about the early 2000s. One, they introduced Waluigi, an affront to everyone who likes characters in video games because he is essentially a non-character. He is an empty vacuum of space where no goodness can exist. He is perhaps the worst character Nintendo has ever concocted were it not for Birdo's existence. But anyway, they unleashed him, ruining Wario's status as a loner. They then started the WarioWare series, which is a fun series on its own, but it ruined Wario's character and turned him from the silent protagonist lone treasure hunter into this deranged, capitalistic, toilet-humor-fueled, minigame-playing-whatever, and he doesn't even wear his same hat. But this is not the greatest damage that Nintendo did to Wario or Wario Land. No, it goes back to my TBH topic, Sakurai is part of a conspiracy. Because in Smash Brothers, which the development team of which is led by Sakurai, Wario Land is never recognized. The first two Smash Brothers did not have Wario. Brawl added Wario, but they added him in a cloud of flatulence donned in his WarioWare outfit. And nowhere was the Wario Land stage to be found. There wasn't even a song or a bit of music from Wario Land included in the game. Some of the most obscure 8-bit tunes you can find in Smash Brothers Brawl. You can play them. There's a WarioWare stage, but nowhere is there mention of Captain Syrup. Or the Brown Sugar Pirates. Or the SST Cup. 
or Wario's castle on his island that he had all to himself in the days before his own company destroyed his name. Then there's Smash Brothers on the Wii U and 3DS. You think that Sakurai might finally deign to stoop down to the level of acknowledging the existence of Wario Land. But all they do is list the Wario Land games and the character descriptions for Wario, and I'm surprised they did even that for they did nothing else. Again, you would think that the only Wario games that exist are WarioWare. That's all that Sakurai thinks exist. He will not do anything. Not even a song, not a character, not a skin, nothing. I'm surprised he even has the traditional Wario outfit in the game. Why not just have the WarioWare outfit, since that's all you want to recognize, for crying out loud? And why just today we found out that the next Smash Brothers for Switch has been announced? Do I get excited? Do I think that this is the point when Sakurai will finally acknowledge the existence of Wario Land by giving us a Wario Land stage, or a Wario Land song, or something? Or, I don't know, maybe making Wario's final smash one of his conditions? Why this stupid, generic, pointless Superman suit? Why can't Wario's final smash be, I don't know, Tiny Wario? Or Super Wario? I don't know, something besides this generic outfit. But no, I might not even expect Wario to be in the next Smash Brothers, because Sakurai is part of a conspiracy to squelch any recognition of Wario Land. They brought back Donkey Kong Country. Makes me think, maybe there will be Wario Land returns. But that's when I realized, no, no, because there's a grand conspiracy. The same conspiracy that shredded all the letters I wrote to Nintendo Power back in the day, asking them why Wario Land was no longer being acknowledged, why there is nothing Wario Land related in Smash Brothers. And it's a conspiracy that Sakurai is a part of. He will put as many unheard of, obscure, nobody cares about them Fire Emblem characters. I mean, goodness, why doesn't the guy just make a Fire Emblem fighting game? How many times do I have to see another stupid little Fire Emblem character pop up without seeing Captain Syrup? Without seeing the SST cup as a stage? I mean, goodness, even Cloud from Final Fantasy VII? No, no, it, it won't do to acknowledge anything but obscure characters from Japanese games that no one cares about. No, because Sakurai is part of a conspiracy. Part of a conspiracy that goes perhaps all the way even to the top of Nintendo to not ever ever recognize Wario Land as a series, and I am left with nothing as consolation but the release of the original three titles in the 3DS's Virtual Console Library, which I'm sure Sakurai has tried his best to get taken down and perhaps put a few Fire Emblem games in the place of. So there you have it, my personal venting on Wario Land content in Smash Brothers. To be honest, Sakurai, he's part of a conspiracy. That was beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Who wants to go next? Uh, I'll go. Excellent. <laughs> um, to be honest, I don't really like esports uh, at all. I don't. I'm gonna specifically talk about League of Legends for this one because uh, that's the only kind of experience that I have with esports. Um, I've watched a couple um, NCS games. I don't even know what NCS stands for. Northern 
champ. I, I don't even. I don't know. I, I'm just all. I'm just repeating things that I hear about with my friends that play League. Um, and if they're listening to this, they should already know that I hate this. So, um, but it, it goes beyond more of. I understand the players devoting their lives um, to play a game. Um, I get that and respect that. It's the whole. The f- it's the whole um, aspect where, at least I feel like with League of Legends, before the whole esports thing, um, you could, for for those who don't know, League kind of has this set path, you know. Tanks go top, mages go mid, and bottom lane has a marksman or an AD carry um, and a support character. And the jungle just he roams in the jungle. But back when League was first announced, back when no one really knew what was going on and the meta wasn't really as established, you could just do random random things. You can have Alistair and and Blitzcrank together in a bot lane and just have it be hilarious. You can take Shaco top and just destroy your lane mate's day just constantly with with boxes and then dashing behind him. But now that esports has taken over, people will not only just kind of copy what professional players do and play as rather than kind of, I don't know, almost experimenting on their own, but they just stick to this meta that only seems to shift for and in tune with the e- the esports players. There's also a focus on competition and winning rather than just having fun. I remember when League of Legends was was fun. Now it's only fun if you win, and occasionally when you lose. I mean, I guess it depends on who you're playing with. But at least for me, it, I don't. I, I don't know why I play this game. I'm gonna I'm gonna break down and be honest. I don't know why I play this game. I've been playing it for years. I've had breaks, but it, it sucks me in. And sometimes I have fun, but most of the times I don't. And another big section, and I guess unpopular opinion of esports. I don't get Twitch. Like I don't really get why people watch other people play a game that they could play themselves if you don't have the money and you can't and you want to watch someone play it sure but if something like i guess even something like league um you're watching people that are just better than you Uh, i guess that's part of the draw but at the same time it's really difficult to to play a a pickup game of soccer in in, at a giant stadium you know and get that feel Whereas if you play in a game, if you pop in a game of league, you're essentially playing on the same playing ground as mm. them. Uh, kind of literally, you know, like you, you can buy the same items, you can play the same champions, you can play as the same skins. But I just, I don't, I don't see the point. Like what? And, and if you're watching people that are better than you, I guess, why not just play and get better yourself? But then that even boils down to the point where the game's just not fun for me regardless regardless of what I do and and when I play it and it's only who I play with um, but then again you have other people that only have fun when they win too and if you make a mistake you just get flamed or yelled at and uh, I'm sick of League of Legends but I'll be playing it later tonight huh. 
<laughs> that doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it League doesn't of Legends, a holic. You know it's bad yeah. for you, yet you keep going back. Someone's got to stop me. Well, is that all you are being honest with us about tonight? I think so. At least without all the vulgarity. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for, for cleaning it up for the Game Luster podcast. Um, and now then I will turn it over to Haley to get honest with something else. To be honest, um, I think that the new Tomb Raider movie that's based off of the game, um, I actually think it will be pretty good. And I know that um, movies based off of video games in the past haven't been very good. Um, A lot of them have been very shitty and very poor and just completely garbage um but looking at the trailer and everything i i think it will do video games justice and i said the same exact thing about the assassin's creed movie and (laughs) i sitting here now i kind of regret saying that um because while i i thought it was good it just went extremely too quickly i don't think it told Um, either side of the story the present day and the past side I don't think it told them thorough enough with enough information about the assassins and about the main character in present day and I just I thought it was bad and I know after I saw that movie I was like yes oh my god that was so great but every day since I'm like why am I lying to myself that movie was garbage and it has nothing to do with the actors or their acting it's just the story was bad and i'm hoping that the new tomb raider movie will do video game movies justice because i love seeing video games turned into movies i think it's a really unique and different take because i will um, look up just all cinematic cutscenes from different video games and watch them. Just watch them like they're a movie. And they're. It's just fun to see everything flow so smoothly without the combat. So being able to see uh, the video games turned into real life movies with actual people is just. I, I like it. So I'm really rooting for the new Tomb Raider movie that's coming out. And if it's shit, then I'll eat my words. But I'm, I'm hoping that it will open the door for more video games uh, to be made into movies. And that their stories are actually coherently told and not just kind of like slapped together. Well spoken. I too have a little bit of optimism for the Tomb Raider movie, but we'll see. In any case, so is that everything that you are wanting to be honest with us about tonight? Yeah. All right then. So that wraps up the first edition of To Be Honest. How it goes from here, we'll see. But for now, we will 
finish up this podcast with a shorter round of newsreel shootout, cold reaction. I don't have ten headlines this time. I just have six. And there are just two of you, so it makes um, the Russian relay aspect of it a little bit less um, interesting. But you never know, flipping a coin, you know, you can get heads six times, you can get an even number, you can get tails five times and heads once, who knows? So uh, without further ado, um, I will begin with six headlines I've pulled from today. And the first one is, there's going to be a Dark Souls amiibo. Brennan. Praise the sun, man. South Park, the fractured butt hole, makes its way onto Switch in April. Haley. Every game is appearing on Switch. Super Smash Brothers announced for Nintendo Switch. Brennan. I I couldn't be happier. I literally cried when it was announced. Vicious Attack Llama Apocalypse is about battling vicious wildlife with mechs. Haley. Llamas are cute. WarioWare Gold features full voice acting. Brennan. Why not Mario Land? Wario Land? Yeah, Wario Land. <laughs> and finally, this is violent, isn't it, Haley? No, it really isn't. That's what I thought, too. And with that, that's another episode of the Game Luster Podcast. I am Trevor, signing off for me and Brennan and Haley. Good night, or good morning, or good afternoon, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs>